This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then use it as an excuse to argue about shit. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latenry, and today we're listening to the 2004 album The Silent Force from Within Temptation. Mm, we are indeed. And uh, before we get going, the first thing I want to say is I want to apologize to people uh, who have been you know, sort of following along live as we release these for the delay uh, in this episode, because uh, it's just taken, it's been a bit of a nightmare to sort of, for me to find free time. It's all down to me. It's all entirely my fault. But we had New York Comic Con, followed by, I was at the Lakes International Comic Art Festival, literally three days after I got back from New York. Um, And then after two cons in the space of such a short time, I've fallen ill, so I apologise if I sound a bit nasal today. And we are having a massive kitchen renovation done. There is literally a guy downstairs, like laying screed on our kitchen floor as I speak. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're giving people a peek behind the curtain now. Uh, I we also we saw each other at New York Comic Con. Anybody who's on our Facebook page uh, mm. has seen the picture now that we posted. Of you and I, which is, was nice because we never get to see each other, so it was nice. Yeah, to, that was like what the second or third time at most that we've actually met in person. Yep, I would say no more than three. Yeah, yeah. And you were so wearing the Thrash cool. It Out T-shirt, of course. I was, which people seem to enjoy, and I have worn it. Uh, like you, I've had conventions every single weekend so far this month, and have one tomorrow and one on Sunday, local oh, ones that are smaller. Wow. But uh, I went to Rock and Shock last weekend which is a horror and heavy metal convention here in massachusetts it's at the worcester uh centrum and the worcester palladium which are two venues that are like right next to each other and you'll never believe this story i don't know if you're familiar with the movie sleepaway camp no oh well you should look it up sometimes if you like if you like old 80s i would say this is not a b movie this is probably a probably like a J or a K movie uh, in terms of production value. But it's very famous over here for the twist at the end of the movie with okay. its main star at the time, who was a, a teenager, and her name is Felissa Rose. And she became pretty much a scream queen off of one movie. Uh, she was a guest at this Rock and Shock thing. so And she hasn't done a ton of other stuff. She's sort of back on the scene now. So a friend of mine knew her. So he's like, oh, I'll introduce you to Felissa and we'll go over and we'll talk to her. So I went over to talk to her just to tell her, you know, obviously that that was a huge uh, movie and I loved it and all this kind of stuff. And we started talking. Well, it turns out that she is doing production work now. And she was the producer of Slayer's new video for Repentless, which is the first single off of the album of the same name. And if you've seen the video, it starts off a little bit like St. Anger from Metallica where the guys are sort of in a prison but it quickly escalates from there because the video is basically a full-on prison riot and it is full of people that you will immediately recognize from horror movies from the last three decades oh. <laughs> including Danny Trejo is in it um ah, well, Derek in that, Mears in is that in case it. I have to say it <laughs> yep Derek Mears is in it and it's bloody and it's crazy and it's these guys basically destroying people in a, uh, a prison setting in she was the one who sort of pitched the video idea and also brought in a lot of her friends who sure, are sure. horror actors. And it was awesome. So I went over there to tell her that I enjoyed this movie that she made like 35 years ago. And we ended up talking about thrash metal for probably like 25 minutes. And Fantastic. she was awesome. And so, but I, but the whole reason I brought that up is because I wore the thrash it out t-shirt pretty much most of the weekend at rock and Chuck and got some good uh, feedback on it. So I've been spreading the word wherever I go. Awesome. about the show yeah uh, uh well and uh people who liked that shirt uh keep an eye out because we hope 
to uh, make that available for uh, listeners to buy if you so desire um, mm-hmm. sometime soon. Yep. And then uh, in New York, too, the other thing I wanted to just quickly mention is I went to a concert, which never happens on the week of New York Comic Con, but I had friends that came up from the Memphis area and there was a band from Sweden that was playing their first show either in the States or maybe just in New York in 10 years. And it's a band called Blindside. Uh, and they are sort of a Christian, uh, I would say, definitely hard rock, but I would say metal based on what I saw at the show. And they were playing a whole album. And I think the album is called The Silence. And they were playing the whole album from start to finish. So it was like oh, wow. this event concert that I was never really familiar with these guys, even though I listened to a good deal of Christian metal back in the day. They were just never a band that was really on my radar. So, But my friends really loved them. So we were like three feet from the stage. It's at a place called the Webster Hall in New York. And it, what's cool about it is it's a building that has like different rooms for performances to be going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And this room was filled to capacity. The show was sold out. It was crazy. It was one of those things where people came from Germany to see these guys. Oh, people wow. drove halfway across the country to see these guys. And so usually I'm the like crazy fan who <laughs> is dying to see the band and you know can't wait. Be surrounded by these people, yeah. Yeah, I was like a third party this time. So it was kind of cool to be in the crowd and see all these people who this was their favorite band. And they came very far to see this band. And there was a lot of energy in the room. And they put on an amazing show. And they brought a couple of bands with them from Sweden. And I think one of the bands was called Rideau, R-I-D-E-A-U. And I cannot find an album from them online, but I will tell you, as a live band, they were phenomenal. And they were like the opening band of the four. And so they didn't get a huge set time, but man, they made the most of it. So so yeah, Saturday at New York Comic Con, my friends and I went down and saw a concert, which was really cool. It was something we I'd never done when I was there before. Awesome. Uh, well, and if anybody out there knows this band, Rideau, uh, don't forget we have a Facebook page mm. where you can tell us about it. Uh, Facebook page is at facebook.com slash thrash it out. Uh, the website is thrash it And of course our Patreon is patreon.com slash thrash it out. And the beauty of our Patreon is that uh, your pledges are per episode. So even though we have been lax and we haven't posted an episode for a couple of weeks, nobody's been charged yep. because you only get charged when we release an episode. It's so nice. beautiful that way. Yep. Uh, I just want to also, I have a bit of follow up myself. Uh, from <laughs> from from the last episode. Uh, so first thing I need to do is apologise to the members of Saxon. They are not from the Midlands. They are from South Yorkshire. Uh, and being uh, sort of romantically involved with a woman from Yorkshire myself, I know how important this is to people from Yorkshire. So I'm very sorry. They're not from the Midlands. They're from uh, around sort of Sheffield Way, which is in South Yorkshire. Um, uh, I was actually getting them mixed up with Magnum, who are oh, from okay. Birmingham. Magnum, Saxon... I mean, I don't really listen to either band, and I kind of clearly I I must conflate them in my mind. I don't think I will from now on because I've been sort of reprimanded <laughs> for doing so. But I realised the other day I was like, oh no, I was thinking of Magnum, uh, and yes, they actually are from Birmingham. Uh, so, and they're more on the sort of rock side than heavy metal. But then, as we said, Saxon. Whilst, you know, I'm not knocking them, but they are not. It's not like they're an extreme metal band. They are very much a sort of trad hard rock style metal band, aren't they? 
Absolutely. And I think that, and, and it made me think as you were talking about Saxon, just that there's a lot of these bands who I think would, when you listen to them either on the radio or on the radio, nobody listens to the radio anymore, but <laughs> when when we listened to them on the radio or when you buy the CDs and stuff like that, they're not super heavy on in in the studio. But, but they when get you heavier see live. Them live yeah. Yeah. They are heavier than anything. And, and, and that's another reason to go see bands live because they, it's just... Some of those shows just translate to a much heavier sound when you're actually there. And I would say Saxon is that. When you listen to their, although they have some burners and they definitely have some very heavy songs, like when you listen to them, a lot of their stuff to me that I've heard sounds a little bit more rockish. But man, you see them live and they are heavy. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that actually, because the next point I wanted to bring up was, uh, we talked about this last time, but I hadn't yet listened to it. I have now listened uh, several times in the intervening times since we last recorded to Motorhead's new album, Bad Magic. Uh, and holy shit, that is a heavy, heavy record. I'm happy to hear you say that because I've only heard a couple songs. I haven't heard it a lot yet. It's sound, the actual sound is just a heavy, I mean, it's heavy, you know, all over, but the actual sound and the production, that is fucking heavy, man. Like one of the heaviest sounding records they have made in a long, long time. Uh, and yeah, I was just amazed. I mean, not that their you know recent records have been bad, but they sure. have the pr- the production of them has been kind of pedestrian, not bad, but pedestrian. But this, holy crap! I just honestly, from the, when I first listened to it, I was like, "What the hell? This is one of the heaviest things Motorhead have made in a long time." Uh, which, I mean, I love. But I also find, given you know uh, Lemmy's well-documented health issues recently, I think is brilliant. I find that really, really heartening. That you know, even in the sort of you know, with his body, you know, uh, starting to collapse, frankly, sure, and you know, having the problems that he's been having, he is still writing and recording this mega heavy music. I fucking love it. I do too. And and uh, Matt and I were talking about this. Matt, my uh, Secret Identity podcast partner, Matt Herring, and I, as we drove up to New York, because we were listening to the new albums from Queensryche and the new album from Wasp, uh, which that's a blast from the past. If you if you uh, <laughs> if you don't remember Blackie Lawless and uh, and Wasp, but oh yeah, both well, we've of mentioned those them albums, several times on this show. Actually, <laughs> I'm sure we'll be doing one at some point because I have a couple great Wasp albums in my back catalog. But um, though those albums are really good, and and I'm fascinated now by these bands that we grew up listening to who some of them are putting out arguably either the best music of their careers or sort of a having a renaissance at this sort of twilight of their career and it is very encouraging because you know for a lot of the bands that we grew up listening to you wondered at some point if they were ever going to sort of recapture the magic and now we're just getting these albums that are coming out from these bands that are just blowing me away in terms of their they're respectful of what came before but they're not just a carbon copy of it, and they're very inspired works. And so I'm excited about that because I really dug Motorhead's uh, The World Is Yours. That album right, I yeah. really enjoyed. There's a song on that album, Brotherhood of Man, that's one of the heaviest songs I've ever heard just in terms of the of the crunch of it. If you, if you haven't right. heard that album, it's phenomenal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and that's kind of what I mean. Is like, you know, The World Is Yours was a good album. It was. I'm not saying that their, previous, mm. their recent albums were bad at all, but M- Bad Magic is a whole... Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's like a sort of new version of Orgasmatron or something. It yep. is heavy shit. That's awesome. <laughs> um, also, uh, speaking of studio albums, um, we, during the My Dying Bride episode, we talked about their sort of revolving uh, drum stool. Uh-huh. And I mentioned that I wasn't sure Dan Mullins was like the most recent 
drummer that they'd had, and I wasn't sure if he was now a permanent member of the band. Well, he still doesn't appear on things like, uh, you know, band photo shoots and stuff, but now that I have the new album, uh, which is also great, incidentally, um, it turns out that he did play drums on it, and he actually also engineered the album. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> it's like, wow. So he's actually way more involved in their sound than I realized. It's the rhythm section, man, the bass players yeah. and the drummers. Yeah. Um, and speaking of My Dying Bride, that segues into, I just want to give a quick shout out to my uh, longtime friend, David Richardson, who has become a listener of the show. Uh, David Richardson is a musician himself. He's in well, several bands. He's from Minnesota. Um, and uh, people who know me and my work will know him best as the chief songwriter and singer of the band Waves of Mercury, uh, with whom I collaborated to make an EP, probably their final EP, actually, it turns out uh, it's going to be. Um, which, which I called... have. As oh, I do you have it? My, right. I do have it. Yeah, I think I picked it up when you were first talking about it. It's a couple right, of years right. ago, right? That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. called As Seasons Fleet. Um, and it's a concept EP based around sort of comparing life to the seasons and that sort of thing. doom metal stuff, very uh-huh. sort of heavily influenced by you know, bands like My Dying Bride. And uh, David and I came to know one another because he read my comic book Wasteland. And when we, uh, when I recorded a theme tune for the book, he wrote in to say that he enjoyed it. And by the way, I'm in a doom metal band. And I think. He either offered or he even may have just sent straight away like a link to uh, one of his doom metal CDs, which I then absolutely loved. And I even plugged it in the letter column back in the early issues of Wasteland. Uh, and that was how we came to know one another and, you know, and eventually we collaborated and stuff. Uh, but he remains a, a good friend. Um, and uh, we have, <laughs> we now have very different views on metal, a bit like you and I actually. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but he is listening into and enjoying the show. So hello, David. Yes, and speaking of people who listen to the show and also chime in, we had some good feedback on our Facebook page from the Dio one, which seems to have brought in mm. a few new listeners to the show yes. as well, which is kind of awesome. Uh, so Chris Fair had come onto the uh, Facebook page and said, hey, I thought the podcast was pretty cool. I've only listened to the Holy Diver one, but so far, so good. So what? Megadeth mofos. And he, uh, of course, <laughs> yeah. was referring to, to an album that he did not know. That we had already talked about. He didn't about. realize we'd already covered. So yeah. we were able to bring his attention, as I am a huge Megadeth fan, to the fact that we've talked about two, if you count the uh, Unjustly Maligned episode, we've Indeed. talked about two Megadeth albums so far. Uh, so that was really cool, and he's now checking out the show. Uh, Darren Gleaton said, uh, Dio was the greatest voice in metal. I am so excited for this episode. And I would love to hear if he thought that we did it justice, because we spent almost two hours talking about Dio. So I think we... I think we really dug into that album, and, and it's pretty much two hours of me gushing about how much I love uh, Dio. Uh, Lenny Reed said, I had the pleasure of catching Dio in the flesh at Sonosphere with Heaven and Hell a short time before his sad passing. Personable, funny, unreal pipes, and the presence out, and presence out the wazoo. One of the greatest frontmen of all time. Incredible album. Uh, Kenneth White started by joking that he came into our podcast knowing Dio pretty much through Tenacious D. And their influence, uh, of course, they wrote a song about Dio, about passing the torch, but also Jack Black has, his musical stylings are very Dio-influenced, if yeah. you listen to Tenacious D at all. Uh, he said, but a bit more seriously, I never listened to any Dio before, had only heard of Holy Diver as a punchline, and while this album hasn't clicked with me so far, I'm walking away with Holy Diver, and I'm on my fourth back-to-back listen of Shame on the Night. Those are effing great songs. Thanks, lads. So see, 
that's a per to me that's one of my favorite responses to this like even if a band or an album doesn't totally click with you if you come away with it if you come away from it with a with couple new of songs respect. exact or a new respect and maybe a couple of songs that sort of stick in your head that's awesome right yeah well and and for me with that album i mean like i say i did i enjoyed that album much more than i expected to but shame on the night is absolutely the song that is still kind of going around in my head even weeks later as we record this you know the the main refrain of that song is still occasionally just surfaces yep. in my head. Such a good song. It's so sticky. And when and just to give you an idea of how sticky that particular song is, that is the song that my son will be singing to himself sometimes really? as we're driving. The, yeah, because he, I have a nine year old son who has now probably believes that the music that was created in the eighties is current music because that's all we listen to <laughs> in, in my house. So he he knows you know he's a big ACDC fan. He loves you know, Dio and stuff. And we'll, we're often kind of singing to each other and, and doing air guitar solos and stuff like that. And shame on the night is just a line that he'll just bust out with. We'll be driving the car. The radio won't even be on and he'll just be like, shame on the night. So uh, it's, I think it's you may have a little, uh, a little mini doom metaler in the making there. Then. I know I took him to uh <laughs> rock and shock on Sunday. They had like quote unquote kids day and he just loved being around all the metalheads on Sunday, so it's uh, it's kind of awesome. So uh, Lenny Reed also jumped in on the Facebook. He said, "There's no way that the Black Sabbath conversation was waiting for another episode." He said, "My own experience echoes <laughs> Anthony's. I outright dismissed Dio as an Aussie usurper for years until a bandmate handed me Mob Rules. Different beasts, but both Sabbath in- Sabbath incarnations share an equal portion of my heart now." And he said, "Few songs get better than Falling Off the Edge of the World." I'm not familiar with that song. I don't know it. So the Mob Rules album is also one of the favorites of of my buddy Matt as well. So, uh, and I haven't spent a lot of time with that album, but I definitely should because I believe Vinny Apice also is the drummer on that album, and we've talked about how I adore his drumming. Um, and our friend Donald Cardenas said, "I really dig this album, especially the bass work. Can't say it's a desert island album for me, but it's certainly something I can revisit often. I was a latecomer to Dio myself, but it was Tenacious D who made me go back and revisit him." Also, T, he said for uh, T.O., because we talked about the T.O.D.O. connection, mm-hmm. he says uh, T.O.D.O. in Spanish means Uncle Dio. <laughs> which is kind of perfect, isn't it? He says, which seems right. Yeah. So yeah. great feedback on yeah. that album, and welcome to any new listeners that have uh, jumped on board. And don't forget that we do have a Facebook page, so you can go to facebook.com slash thrash it out, right? Yep. Uh, actually, and let's just take a moment to like, you know, Jack Black gets a bit of stick and Tenacious D, yes, of mm-hmm. course, they're a sort of, they're a comedy band, but do not doubt if you don't, re- maybe do you don't realize this, do, uh, listeners don't realize this, do not doubt Jack Black's commitment, uh, to metal. You know, he is a real full on metal head, uh, Absolutely. you know, and all of, all of the Tenacious D, well, you couldn't do parody that accurate if you weren't a fan. That's the the irony of that sort of parody is you have to actually be a fan of the thing that you are parodying in order to get it right. You are 100% correct. And I would also hold up as another example of that Metalocalypse. Not sure if you're familiar with that Adult Swim show, but if you have never heard, we should do an episode on that maybe next season. If you've never heard the Death Album, which is the Metalocalypse album, the first one, it is an album of original music created by Brendan Small, who does uh, the voices and created that show and everything. And he is a humongous metal fan and an amazing, like, virtuoso guitar player. He's unbelievable. You can see YouTube videos of him playing, like, the Metalocalypse theme song, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. And that album is killer. 
it's one of the most surprising. You would never think that the album was going to be amazing. It's flat out a crusher. It's just oh, we might awesome. have to cover but that then, yeah. We definitely well, do. And and another album, and, and I was going to mention this with regard to Jack Black, and I think we will have to do this in season two. I'm going to have to choose this as one of my albums, is the Probot album, uh, which was a side project. I say side project. It was a one-off experiment, if you like, uh-huh. by Dave Grohl. Um, and uh, I'm not going to go into it. Look it up. It's, a, it's an amazing project, and God bless Dave Grohl. But the very last track on it, the bonus track, is with Jack Black, and it's called I Am The Warlock. And it is it is both parody, homage, and love letter to metal in like three minutes and eleven seconds. It's yep. it's amazing, and it's a, the other thing is that it's a really good track, like really good, really catchy, and really heavy, and just fantastic. You know, you if you listen to that, you you as I say, along with the Tenacious D metal stuff, you're like, okay, this guy just loves, clearly loves metal. And the reason I brought this up in the first place is if that's how people get into stuff like Dio, yes, gr- you know, all the all to the good. Like, don't knock that as a way for people to come into metal i totally 100 percent agree it reminds me that's why to me like horror and heavy metal go hand in hand because it's the same thing with horror movies like you can make fun of 80s horror movies you can make fun of slasher movies but they are the foundation and those who make fun of them today are also paying homage to them you look at the scream movies and stuff like that like if scream was a generation's first entry into slasher movies and then they went back and they watched Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers and all that more power to scream because it brought people in. But at the same time, it was, it was parodying the same thing that it, that ironically Wes Craven helped create. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who who, who better to parody it? Exactly. (laughs) All right. So let's, uh, let's get to this week's album then. And it is, as you said, within temptations, the silent force from 2004. So it's 11 years old as we record. Yes. And uh, they are a band that I did not have a ton of familiarity with until I listened to this album. But had you heard of them? I had heard of them, but I but I didn't I didn't even know enough about them to know that people over here, especially, compare them to Evanescence. Right, right. That that's uh, w- with an American audience. That's always the right. the sort of big thing. Um, and yeah, I th- as I th- think I mentioned at the end of last show, they actually formed around the same time. Um, and certainly within Temptation, we're already a band and recording by the time Evanescence sort of broke out and became huge megastars. Um, I I mean, I don't know whether either has been an influence on the other, but they are very much their own thing. You know, if you listen closely, they're not actually that familiar. But on the surface, you can be forgiven for looking at them and thinking that, you know, that one might be a ripoff of the other. And so whenever Within Temptation have gone to America, they have always faced resistance with uh, American audiences who just think that they are bandwagoning, that they're jumping on, you know, Evanescence's coattails. And well, trying especially, to sort of- especially because if radio stations, which again, we're talking a few years ago now, but if radio stations were picking the most radio friendly songs of Within Temptation and putting them out there right. and playing them in the same block as an Evanescence song, 
there are times where the Venn diagram sort of overlaps a little bit more than usual. And I, and I think that's probably where, you know, a lot of people maybe heard them for the first time. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But as I say, you know, I say all that as a preface to say that they are not actually all that similar. No. Um, and I like both of them. I like Evanescence. I know it's not trendy to say so, but I like Evanescence because Amy Lee's a really good songwriter uh, and has an amazing voice. And within Temptation, a lot of the attraction for me and for many of their fans is Sharon Denadel's voice, who is uh, the lead singer of that band. And her voice is very different to Amy Lee's, but is just as amazing. Like, beautiful, clear, uh, you know, both sort of angelic, if you like, but also quite powerful voice. And the whole band and all the songwriting is really based around her voice. And also when they play live around her stage presence. Yeah. And I've never seen them live, obviously, but but certainly you can tell musically that they, they build around her. Yeah. Her stage presence is actually, is actually a bit weird. Like it's almost, it's I haven't seen them live, but I've seen many videos of performances. I've seen the the DVD of the symphony performance they did, that sort of thing. Um, it's almost like she is kind of, uh, oh, I don't want to say mothering the crowd, but it is almost like that. It's like she's kind of, it's almost like they're buddies with the crowd. She's always smiling. They're always clearly, you know, just overjoyed to be playing. Uh, she's clearly enjoying herself. It's kind of infectious and charming. And she's, I mean, always smiling. Even when she's singing a really sad song, she's still smiling and encouraging the crowd to like wave along. And you're like, this isn't quite, doesn't really quite match with the lyrics you're singing. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because I think that was one of the notes that I made. Let me just get to my general thoughts about the album overall, because that that is something where I feel like the uh I said sort of uh dark and gothy lyrics but the music isn't that dark. No, and it's her really singing not, no. isn't that dark. No. And so it is this sort of thing where if you're paying attention to what she's saying, there's a lot of mourning and a lot of longing and a lot of uh loss that she talks about in a lot of the songs, but that that's not if you close your if you didn't listen to the lyrics, you if wouldn't you just necessarily melodies, get that yeah. emotion. You know what I mean? So it's interesting that uh it's sort of not working against itself, but it's yeah. It, that, that's reflected in the in the live shows, definitely, and the visual, their visual aesthetic. Not so much now, less so now, but when they started, and certainly around this album, the Silent Force was very gothic, like very, uh-huh. very gothic. She would literally go on stage wearing like black corsets and you know mm-hmm. bat wings and stuff, uh, and the guys would all dress in black and studs and you know uh, sleeveless t shirts and all that sort of thing. They were, you know, one of the keyboard player had a mohawk at the time. They they looked very, very gothic metal um and yet they never really played gothic metal <laughs> right <know? laughs> it's uh and as i say and they're they're always smiling um it's uh there's a they did an um a dvd performance well they did a, a performance that was made for a dvd called uh black symphony i believe it was with the metropole orchestra um in case people don't realize by the way they're from holland from the netherlands they're dutch uh they are one of the biggest bands in uh holland um, you know, like mega, mega selling over there. And they did, as we've discussed before, as is relatively becoming relatively common for metal bands now, they did one of these performances with a symphony orchestra. Uh, and of course, it actually really suits this band because Without what they a doubt. do yeah, is symphonic rock and symphonic metal. Um, and so it was a really, really good show, really good performance. Um, but there was a bit towards the end of that gig where, and you can see this online, this is on YouTube, they do a track 
which is from this album. It's the closure of this album somewhere. And they do it as an acoustic number. Um, and not only that, but Shandon Adel duets on this track with surprise guest Annika van Giersbergen from The Gathering. Um, wow. And there is, and it's, it's wonderful. It's really, really great. But there is a moment when the two women are sort of singing together and singing out one another as part of the duet. They're doing this beautiful harmonized chorus and the camera sweeps across the whole band. who are all just sitting there, you know, playing acoustic guitars and they are all smiling their heads off. They're all just gazing at the women and smiling because the sound is so beautiful. And this is a really sad song. If you look at the lyrics to it. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a I really, pulled some really, lyrics from it. Like, uh, yeah. well, well, we'll talk to it. We'll, yeah. We'll yeah, we'll it, but yeah, it, yeah. You're right. But it's a proper sad ballad, but they're sure. all just so enchanted by the beauty of the sound that they can't help smiling. And um, that is like kind of a microcosm of the album, right? Is that yeah, you, you're yeah. listening to this angelic voice and these, what almost feel like hopeful compositions sometimes and then you read the lyrics and you're like oh yeah she's really hurting <laughs> it's it's oh there's such a contradiction but i love that about them you know they are very very hard to pin down of all the symphonic metal bands yep. uh really the, within temptation one of the reasons that they are one of my favorites of that genre is that they are really hard to pin down and i i know i realize that most people who know me and certainly people who listen to this show probably would never guess that i actually quite like a bit of symphonic metal um i'm not a mega fan of the genre because quite a bit of it actually leaves me cold because it feels sort of pompous for the sake of it with more more focus on like the orchestration and you know sort of getting some nice string sounds and what have you than interesting songwriting uh you know there's a lot of bands like nightwish epica alice's inferno that i i like well enough and i'll listen to them but they don't you know, uh, they don't sort of ring my bell in the same way that Within Temptation do because they are great songwriters, as we will see on this album. I'm um, 100% on board with what you just said. I am not a mega fan of this genre. And a lot of times for me, the reason is because the I don't like the way a lot of these albums are produced because what happens, and we'll talk about that a little bit with some of the songs on this album, is the the heavier parts of the band the guitars and the bass and the drums often get buried behind the strings and the vocals and for me that takes a lot of the power it takes the bottom end out of a lot of these um, albums and it takes the power away from them and so it feels it just doesn't feel like metal to me it doesn't feel heavy enough for me and so i will listen to a lot of these and they're pleasant to listen to but they don't stick with me and i could have made the same assessment of this album had i only listened to it once or twice but actually since we had the break I spent a lot more time with this album and really grew to appreciate what it was doing. But that's my problem with the genre in general is a lot of times I, I feel like it's um, it's just not heavy enough for me. Right. Yeah. Well, and this is, you know, this is not a mega heavy album. That is sure. say, this is why people may be surprised that, you know, this is one of my favorite albums, but because it's not mega heavy at all. Um, but it is musically interesting, shall we say? And I, I confess I am a sucker for a really good, female, interesting female voice, and they do not come much better than Sharon Donadles. She really does have an amazing voice. Um, another good band, actually, in this genre that I do like, uh, which unfortunately was a side project band, and they only made one album, was Angtoria, which was a collaboration between Sarah Jezebel Diva, who most people know as a backing singer for Cradle of Filth back in the day, and uh, a bunch of guys from another band who I actually i am not familiar with at all. Um, but they got together and made this album, um, God Has a Plan for Us All, and it is, it's wonderful. You know, it's the same sort of 
thing as this stuff, although a bit heavier, much more sort of trad, um, trad Nordic metal, if that makes sense. Um, uh, and again, Sarah Jezebel Diva has an amazing voice and that's a really, really good album. Um, unfortunately, yeah, they only made one album, so I kind of cherish that one. Um, and, uh, as an aside, there is, it's not on this album, but the, their within temptations breakthrough hit was a song called ice queen, which I sent you a link to the, uh, which I watched to on YouTube. Yeah. Um, that is, that was their first sort of big hit. That was the song that really broke them in the Netherlands and most of Europe. Um, and the reason I mention it is because they are also almost as well known is an acoustic version of that song they they regularly perform acoustic versions of that song and they did one at um grass pop which is i think a danish festival or it might actually be dutch i'm not sure but anyway it's a sort of rock festival uh in europe um in i think 2003 that you that was recorded and sort of released it's a really really good version but that is a good example of a song of theirs and it's in this genre it's you know it was only the album before this so it's very much in this genre but it is a good example of a song that can survive without all the orchestration if you listen to the original the strings and horns and like you know it's really really epic and loads of orchestra stuff and choirs going on in it but you can also play an acoustic version with two guitars and just Sharon singing and it is still a great great song and i think that's what's lacking from a certain number of symphonic metal uh, bands output is that if you take, if you strip away all the sort of layers of orchestration and production that you don't have particularly strong songs there at the core. Yeah. And, and, and I think that leads to a lot of the bands in this genre being overproduced, you know, they just yes. sort of pile it on, save they, it they, in production, they throw in yeah. the kitchen sink. Exactly. They, they try to, which results in, in a lot of ways, actually making the tracks worse in production. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So, uh, brief history. I don't actually know an awful lot about this band. Uh, I know that uh, Sharon Donadle and the lead, uh, not the lead guitarist, sorry, the rhythm guitarist, Robert Westerholt, uh, are husband and wife. They met when they were, I think, in high school. Uh, and allegedly, he played her a Paradise Lost album. <laughs> That's what I heard anyway. <laughs> and that was, they were like, hey, let's make music. Um, they, they've been married for donkey's years. They've got a small army of children. Um, like, you know, it seems that every other time they go on tour, Sharon is pregnant. Um, although I do love that right now they are touring with a replacement rhythm guitarist while Westerholt stays at home raising the kids. Wow. And, sh- and she's out touring with the band because they know, clearly they are, you know, sort of self-aware enough to know that if they tried touring with a replacement vocalist... Not going to work. Uh, n- nobody would come out to see them. It would be the end of the band. But they right. can go out with a replacement rhythm guitarist <laughs> so he's at home presumably writing songs for the next album uh, and yeah raising their kids apparently while she's out touring <laughs> how very european just how your average working couple <laughs> making things work oh i love it <laughs> um so yeah and again that shows through like you know there is sort of i mean not that they're like kissing on stage or anything but you can see when they perform a stage that there is you know there's the occasional glance and there are moments of affection between them and i think the relationship between those two because they're the principal songwriters as well is not necessarily an attraction for fans of the band but it's something that informs the band and the style very much and i think the fans appreciate it i certainly do it's nice to see Right, it, it kind of adds to the to the positive vibe of the band, right? You know, right. as you mentioned, yeah. with the people smiling on stage and stuff like that. There's nothing that makes you 
appreciate and and sort of love a band more than when it looks like they're enjoying what they do because you hear so many stories of the negative side you always hear about you know the the band that hates each other but they come out on stage because it's their job and they have to do that or there's been a lot of strife or you know they've been through hell and back to get to where they are now it's nice to actually see bands where it looks like everybody's having a good time they're all in it together it's a team effort and they're enjoying what they're doing that makes you want to support them even more Absolutely. And members have come and gone from Within Temptation. You know, it's not all like, you know, wine and roses. Sure. Um, But on the whole, and certainly with the sort of most modern version of the lineup, which has been quite stable now for many years, yeah, they do really seem to be having a great time and just enjoying themselves. Everybody seems to be having fun on stage and enjoying what they're doing, you know. Uh, they they have slowly, because they've been around for so long now and because they're so successful in the Netherlands and around Europe, they have become almost sort of elder statesmen of this kind of symphonic music, uh, symphonic rock music within Europe. It's quite, it's quite odd to see, actually, in a way. You know, they're all like reaching their 40s and now they're kind of, oh, hang on, we're veterans now. How did this right. happen? <laughs> I pulled a couple of uh, interview quotes of Sharon Denadel uh, just to sort of give folks a, a little bit of background on the band and, and sort of where they're coming from, one of the questions that was posed to her is, if you could get together and play with any band or artist, alive or dead, who would you choose? She said that would be Nirvana. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. N- unexpected. <laughs> I try to surprise you with these. That's why yeah. I, I try to look for stuff. Uh, uh, she was asked, apart from Jillian, which is a song in this album, uh, what other Within Temptation songs are inspired by books? And she said, the title of our latest album, The Silent Force, is actually taken from the title of a book from the beginning of the 19th century from a Dutch writer called Louis Copernus. Uh, Copernus, I'm sorry. All songs in the album are in some way related to that book. Now, I did a little research on the book, and I believe the book, at least as it was translated, is called The Hidden Force. The Hidden Force, that's right. Yeah, yeah it's a 19, it was uh, from 1900, and it's set at the end of the 19th century and concerns the cultural gap between East and West, between the Netherlands and the the colony on uh, Java. Right, yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. So that book is actually in the public domain. If you're interested in checking that out, I, I was able to download a copy of it for free on Amazon. So you can certainly oh. go and check that out. <laughs> uh, and then another question that was asked of her, have you had professional singing training? And she said, no, not really. I did learn something when I was singing uh, for a short while in a choir. Mostly I just learned by listening to other singers and simply singing a lot. Oh, so, wow. Pretty much self-taught. Yeah, and uh, that colony is now, that's what's now Indonesia. Oh, okay, um, cool. And uh, if I recall correctly, Shandon Adel actually was raised in Indonesia until she was about six years old. I believe she was, I think she was born in uh, born in Holland, moved there very young, raised in Indonesia until she was like five or six, and then moved uh, somewhere else. She apparently like moved around a whole, I don't know if her father may have been in the, military or something, but she apparently moved around and lived in lots and lots of different places when she was young, um, which probably informs, you know, much of their lyrics and maybe even, yeah, they're sort of, because a lot of their, we, we mentioned the sort of positivity and a lot of their lyrics are um, about sort of understanding and tolerance and empowerment through understanding and being positive and, you know, love your brother man. And isn't it sad that we can't all just get along and stuff, which, you know, lots of metal bands cover, but within temptation seem to have a very, they, they cover it more than most, <laughs> you know, they really sure. do almost all of their lyrics, even the ones that are about loss and grief. They all have this message of the world would be great if we could all just 
you know, understand one another and love one another behind them, which is, you know, a little unusual for a metal band, I suppose. Um, but, you know, but it is a, it's a nice message. I can't argue with it. No, and I think the, another uh, sort of message that I get from listening to their stuff is it's like public therapy, you know, which it's like mm. dealing with these feelings and then moving on from them. Whereas a lot of metal is just about wallowing in those right. feelings and in not hate. moving forward. <laughs> exactly. Like just, just letting, just stewing in whatever it is that made you upset at the time that the person wrote this song and the lyrics for the song. And so a lot of their songs, like they deal with some dark stuff, but then there's this element of hope to it or element of moving forward to it, which is, uh, which again, I think, I think is more like the personality of the band than maybe uh, more of the dark lyrics, you know? Absolutely. So this album is uh, 11 tracks, 47 minutes. So slightly on the longer side than some of the albums we've covered, but nowhere near, you know, as long as some of the other albums that we've covered. Um, And, you know, it's symphonic metal, so you kind of expect a certain length. But interestingly, not a single song on this album is more than five minutes long. I noted that as well. And only two of them are less than four minutes. And one of those is the like the intro track, which doesn't really count because that's just sure. short instrumental anyway. So only one sort of real song is actually below four minutes. And even that's only barely below four minutes. So they really, they're really tight at sort of like between four and five minutes is clearly their ideal length for a song, at least when they were recording this album. It's quite extraordinary, really. Yeah. And, and, and I like that because there's, you know, again, as we've talked about before, when you don't have these seven minute epics, then you you sort of don't run the risk of songs overstaying their welcome, and they that certainly is the case here. Like even if you, you don't necessarily, if a song doesn't click with you, four minutes and change is not long to wait for the next song to come around. Absolutely. Uh, this was also this was the first album with a new lead guitarist, um, Rude Holy. That's it. I'm not. I may well have completely uh, mangled the pronunciation there, but he joined them from another band. Not sure, can't remember the name of it, but I know that he was in another band and they sort of poached him, as it were, um, and he went to work for them. And I think you can tell, I think it shows, if you do know their other albums, the guitars on this album become more sort of traditionally metal than previous albums you know there's a lot there's a lot more sort of traditional metal chugging during choruses and all that sort of stuff uh oh sorry during verses i should say than on previous albums so i I think that sort of even though i don't think at this time he was a songwriter i think it shows that you know clearly they had somebody who was more experienced as a metal guitarist if you like interesting so so i wonder this is probably the right album for me to listen to then because right, I, yeah, exactly. I prefer, you know, that in there. But they're not a not they're not a band that I think relies a lot on what you would traditionally think of in terms of a lead guitarist. This isn't a band oh, that no, has a lot no. of solos. It's not a band that that really, uh, <laughs> y- you know, the spotlight as you mentioned before, and and we've talked about is clearly on, uh, on Sharon. Sharon. Yeah, and the, her- although there are some lovely moments when they when they play certain songs live, uh, Rude does step forward to do a solo and Sharon sort of, you know, graciously steps back and the spotlight goes on him and then he plays these solos and he's, he's a good guitar player, but they're the most, I could play them, you know, they are the sort of simplest, shortest guitar solos you've ever heard. They're very, they're good and melodic, but they are not whittly, 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 you know, they are not technically complex solos at all. (laughs) Right. Exactly. 
Um, uh, and one other thing I want to say about the album in general, I read that one reviewer apparently criticised the album for an excess of drumming. Really? <laughs> I'm just like, bro, do you even metal? Right. I mean, I, what? How can you? It's a it's a metal album. How can you possibly criticize a metal album for too much drumming? That would <laughs> that thought never even occurred to me for one moment of listening to this album. Like, and there are albums where the drums are too busy and they're they're stepping on the toes of the of the song and not doing their job, which is obviously to be part of the rhythm section. But uh, this it's is crazy, not that album. It? Yeah, what a crazy <laughs> criticism. This is not that band. <laughs> just like have you ever heard metal especially before? because the drums are kind of buried in the mix like there's never there's maybe not buried in the mix but there's never a part in in my mind in listening to this album where the drums overpower anything no absolutely not absolutely not there is some really good drumming on this sure, album absolutely. actually it's, totally it's great. yeah it's very good and it's very sort of musical and works really well but yeah it works really well with the rest of the music at no point does it sort of overtake the music, or or even as you say, like sort of come to the fore of the mix because that's not what the band's about, right? So yeah, I, I was just like, does, does this reviewer like had he ever heard a metal album before? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's oh, too man. funny, too much. All right. we'll have to put uh. that on the. We'll, we'll have to start a, <laughs> a a virtual bulletin board of quotes that uh, neither of us would ever use in a oh, review of a metal Ec- album. Yeah, excessive drumming. Yeah, too much drumming for me in this album. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, uh, let's get to the track by track. Okay. So, uh, first track is the intro. to say really it's a nice nice string thing with a bit of uh choir uh the, the thing i found sort of interesting about this is that ironically it doesn't actually like intros you kind of expect to set the stage a little and this sure. really doesn't doesn't do that that much because it doesn't build that much um right and there's not album, a lot of connective tissue to the actual track that follows it Right, yeah. yeah, and this album is a little heavier and less folky than some of their previous stuff. Some of their previous stuff was a little more sort of doomy, a little more sort of, you know, folk melodies and stuff in there, especially the Mother Earth album, which is a great album, but it is more sort of like almost folk symphonic metal, if that's a thing. Um, uh, and this does not have, this album does not have that, but the intro has parts of that. Maybe it's meant to be a segue of some kind, I don't know. Yeah, um, sort of maybe clearing the slate from what people have known before and sort of setting the stage because it is a little gothicy and there's you know there's the bells and there's the the um you know the the low notes on the keyboard and stuff like that so so it definitely is it's suggesting a tone for sure. But the, and the one thing it does do, of course, is showcase and emphasize Sharon's voice, uh, right? And those amazing soprano high notes that she hits seemingly effortlessly. Uh, she really does have an incredible range. 
Um, and I suppose it, it serves that purpose, certainly. It's like, oh, okay, we've got that kind of voice on this album, have we? Right, it's kind of like introducing, and we, you know, they have right. the different members of the band come out, and they're like, this is what you can expect. So in that way, it, uh, it definitely gives you an idea of what to expect. But, it, but as you mentioned, it's not, it's not as if this song ramps into the, the real opener, song. which is See right. Who I Am. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's not that, that the intro is not particularly representative at all. Uh, See who I am, however, uh, track two. Is it true what they say? Are we too blind to find the way? Fear of the unknown cloud our hearts today. really representative of the album and this whole period of Within Temptation as a whole, because, I mean, it's a good track for a start, yep, totally uh, but, it, but it also has a kind of quintessential arrangement for this period of their songwriting in that it starts off bombastic, then it goes really quiet to show off Sharon's softer voice with like a nice quiet verse and then, you know, drop out the drums for a, for a verse, uh, builds up to the chorus with stronger vocals on the pre-chorus, and then hits the big, powerful, soaring chorus with chord stabs and strings and Sharon belting it out and the cymbals are crashing. Um, and that is... I'm reticent to use, you know, to accuse anybody of formulaic songwriting, but if the, if they have a formula or if they had a formula at this point in their careers, that was it. That I was totally absolutely agree. it. You just I- mirrored the exact notes that I made to this song and I, and I use the word formula probably too much and and I never mean it as a derogatory uh term but I totally I'm trying not to use that as much but yes I feel like if there is a roadmap for this band of what a quote unquote typical song sounds like it is the you know sort of quiet verse where her voice steps to the forefront the pre-chorus of the building and the chugging and then the sweeping epic chorus yep Yep. And then like, you know, and then back down and the second time around the verse has got drums on it now and it uh-huh. might be a little bit heavier and yeah. Maybe it's, a few extra chugs. Yeah. It's quite uncanny as we go through the album. <laughs> like you sort of I remember I noticed this this year because I've been listening to this album for, you know, years and years. And I remember the first time I noticed that and I was like, huh, really? And I started clicking through in iTunes, you know, clicking through to the, each song and going, wow, wow. <laughs> and I think that that, and again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it ends up that's where songs can sometimes sound a little bit samey yes agreed. where you have where you're sort of repeating that so there's not there's not a ton of diversity in terms of their approach to the songs on this album even though the melodies are are certainly pretty diverse and 
and obviously lyrically they're tackling different subjects but yeah this this feels like which again as as sort of the true opener of the album that's what you you want to give people what they can expect from this album and this is certainly what you can expect from this album yeah it absolutely does that and the lyrics are pretty representative as well again we talked about them being sort of you know generally hopeful and positive lyrics about understanding and tolerance and stuff and the lyrics in this are very much that i mean one of my favorite lyrics is uh, in fact, most, I'll say this now, most of my favourite lyrics on this album are from the choruses of the songs. And I think that is quite uh, uh, revealing. You know, uh-huh. I think I think that kind of goes a long way to explaining the appeal of this band. They do, they write really good choruses. The choruses are very much the focuses, the focus of the songs, more so than many metal bands, frankly. Um yeah, you know, and uh, on this one, we have the the lines, let's show them that we can free our minds and find a way. The world is in our hands. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's again, for this period of Within Temptation's career, that pretty much sums up their entire lyrical philosophy. <laughs> and I, the lyric that I pulled is, we must be the change that we wish to see. Exactly, exactly. Same thing, you know. They're, they're very much about that sort of, you know, empowerment and we, we can do this, you know, we can, we can be better. Right. Uh, and yeah, this song is, a, as I say, it's kind of a quintessential arrangement uh, to to represent the whole album. But I, I keep saying this period because if you listen to their earliest albums, if you listen to their later albums, they don't, you know, they are different. And they, they're clearly evolving, always evolving as a band, always trying new things. Their songwriting style changes. It never loses the core of, symphonic arrangements and Sharon Donadle's voice, obviously. But within those constraints, you know, they're always changing and experimenting. So, you know, this isn't, it's not like this is a songwriting formula that they use throughout their entire career. But clearly at this point in time, that was how they view, well, this is how you write a song. Right. Uh, and then we go on to uh, track three, Gillian. Brackets, I'd give my heart. I've been dreaming for so And again, has the bombastic beginning, the quiet verse, you know, <laughs> the uh, the chorus. Um, this is where I wrote the pattern seems to be subdued verses and epic choruses. This is two in a row. That yeah, that that's sort of where th- <laughs> yeah. this is where I was like, okay, okay, we have a we have a formula here. But I love the chorus of this song, and I I like the main riff. It's simple, but it feels epic. Yes. Well, and this is uh, this is a good example of what I was talking about with the sort of traditional metal 
chugging. Yep. Um, you know, you don't come to this band for spider chords. <laughs> right. Um, what you get is a good, solid foundation of, you know, yeah, heavy sounding guitars, but not playing like extreme metal and not playing thrash. Just good, solid, jung, 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 you know, metal chugging. In this band, I think the, the, and I'm just forming this thought now, so, uh, so I could be talking out of my ass but it feels like the guitars in this band it's all it's all a rhythm section so the the bass right. the drums and the guitars are all a rhythm section there is no real lead because the guitars are not the emphasis in this band and so it they're not at no point during this album are the guitars going to do anything dynamic there's or, no fireworks exa- yeah. exactly and so yeah so i think you're absolutely right I would say that's true. Yeah, I mean, there are some guitar solos. Uh, not that they're here, bad, you know, but just that but, they're not. Um, they're all in service to her voice and the melody of the song. Exactly, as I said before, they're not technically complex. They you know, they are very much there just to be melodic and give you know a break uh, to the sort of structure of the song. Um, but yeah, you're you're never gonna get uh, a Mustaine style, <laughs> like eight finger fretboard tapping or something solo from this band. That's just, even if they could do it and technically, it would feel out of you know, place. yeah, exactly. Technically they may well be capable of that, but they're not going to do it because it would not be right for this band. Right. And I don't want to hear Dave Mustaine singing sweeping choruses. Uh, I'll take right, the guitar right. solos over there <laughs> and over here. Let's hear Sharon's angelic voice. Exactly. Uh, good use of the choir on this song as well. I thought mm-hmm. uh, really strong, you know, sort of there's almost sort of vocal stabs of notes in the chorus um, underneath Sharon's voice, which is, and it is a great chorus. You're absolutely right. This is a, you know, brilliant chorus. I think this song may have been one of the singles off the album. Okay. Um, it's certainly a song that I gather they still play live. Even 11 years later, they still play live a lot. Yeah. I'd give my heart. I'd give my soul. I'd turn it back. It's my fault. Just sort of the, you know, the idea of uh, wanting to fix the mistakes of the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just the way it's sung as well. It's it, it is not necessarily a sing along chorus, but it is. You can imagine, you know, people, you know, throwing the horns and uh, punching the air sure. for this chorus. Absolutely. Uh, and then we get to "Stand My Ground," track four. I can see when you stay low, nothing happens. Does it feel right? Late at night Things I thought I'd put behind me is one of my favorites on the album. Me too. Um, it does follow the formula <laughs> again. <laughs> um, but I, th- I mean, this is a good example. What we're talking about is if there is a formula, you then have to make sure that the actual melodies 
are distinct enough that songs don't get lost in one another. And Stand My Ground, I think, is a great example of, yeah, okay, we're still going to use that same songwriting structure, but it will stand out from the rest of the album because of the melodies and the vocal melodies and the musical, you know, sort of bed that those melodies go over is so good. Um, And one of the things I love about this actually is the chords in the chorus, the guitar chords that play in the chorus are quite unusual. They're, they're, you know, they're minor. They're not what you would expect from a chorus. You know, in a chorus you expect things to sort of, I don't know, just kind of rise and, you know, sort of soar a little bit. And this, the music in this does not do that at all. Right. You expect it to simplify during the chorus because it's the lyrics and the singing that take front and center during the chorus. Right. Well, and exactly. But Sharon's vocal melody does do that because that really does soar and, you know, fly in this chorus. And so as a sort of counterpoint against the guitars, it works really well, but it is kind of unusual. It's not you know, it sort of, um, it puts the lie to the idea that this is simple uh, or simplistic songwriting. It clearly isn't, you know, it, it's quite complex. Well, and it's it's one of those things that it's it's complex to make it look simple. You know what I mean? Mm. Like even mm. in the songs where it feels simple to build a song and a melody around her voice and have it work perfectly is very difficult. And so, you know, maybe they're not getting enough credit for that. But I, my notes on this was was that I thought it was the best riff so far, and I also felt it. I thought it felt like the heaviest song so far on the album. Yep. Um, I like the 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 sort of creeping of the guitars as we approach the chorus. You know, there there's a nice build there. Yep. As we get to the chorus, and uh, you know, my note was we need more of this because this this song was like okay, this is. This is a song I can get behind. On the flip side of that, I also thought that this is probably a song that gets most compared to bands like Evanescence. If this yes. was a radio single, people would be like, oh, that sounds like so-and-so because it is, um, it, it just has that feel. It has a feel like it's four minutes and 26 seconds. It could easily be a radio song. This feels like a song that you could put out there and people can really get behind. It's very catchy um, in terms of the the way the chorus is sung and overall uh, to this point in the album, my favorite song. Well, and actually it was uh, a single from the album, this song. Uh, and I think it made, um, excuse me, I think it made number one in uh, in the Netherlands at least, and maybe in some other European countries. Um, and in fact, talking about the comparisons to Evanescence, there is a, you can find a video online of them performing this on the Dutch version of Top of the Pops. And a lot of, the, I mean, YouTube comments, you know, go figure, but a oh, lot yeah. of the comments are from people who, you know, clearly don't know who the band are and are basically just like shouting abuse that they're ripping off Evanescence and Amy Lee um, on this song. And it's like, well, this song's from 11 years ago, you know, but right. yeah. <laughs> and and obviously this is a very empowering song, you know, stand my ground, I won't give in, I won't give up. You know, there's no more denying, I've got to face it. The whole like dealing with, dealing with your problems and being able to move forward from them and not backing down from the challenge. Well, and that lovely, if I don't make it, someone else will. Exactly. Yeah. Which, which I think is, is very good. Yeah. So when you combine those lyrics, that message with the fact that it's a very well-structured song and it's catchy, I mean, it, it has all the ingredients to be a very successful single. Yeah. Uh, also, but although again, you know, yes, very catchy, uh, you know, great single, but again, musical complexity. Uh, the, this track is a good example of 
background keyboards. Uh-huh. Now, a lot of the keyboards are very much, I mean, they do use actual, you know, or, um, you know, string players and stuff, sure. but they do also use keyboard strings and, you know, choirs and what have you. Um, and you can hear the strings and the choir, they're everywhere, all over the album, of course. But there are also more subtle keyboard stuff uh, going on throughout this album. And in this song in particular, you can really hear, if you listen, you you won't notice them unless you listen to it many times and, you know, sort of listen out for it. But there are some nice, like, little horns going on in the background, adding little counterpoints and background yep bass note melodies and stuff, things that you won't pick up on the first time you hear it, but they're there and they are kind of subtle and they all sort of add to the, you know, the the total sound of the song and add to the complexity. And again, that's something that I think people overlook with a lot of this kind of music and especially with this band. They hear the strings and the choirs and they think that's all there is. But if you listen, there is clearly, there are many, many layers underneath all adding to the song. And and as opposed to some of the other songs on this album, I feel like this is a really the song was mixed really well. I like the mix of this song because yes. I feel like the guitars are pushed up just enough that it makes this song sound heavier. Even though th- there might be there's other songs where the guitar lines are interesting and and could be considered heavy, but a lot of times they're pushed back. Where yeah. here I feel like they're it's like the perfect spot for them because this, this song is probably feels the loudest heavy. the guitars are on the album. Yes, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm glad you like that one because like I said, that's one of my favourites on this album and it is probably the most sort of, yeah, as you say, traditional single-friendly song on the album Um, but I do think it's one of the strongest as well Uh, and then we get to Pale, the first ballad This was my note. This is the opening score of my D and D campaign. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah. I mean, it is. It's a proper, you know, sort of slightly gothic symphonic ballad. And I say first because there are three yep. on this album. Uh, if you are the sort of person turned off by ballads, you know, maybe this album is not the one for you. This one um, hit me right though, because uh, the other note I made is that the opening made me feel like I was playing Dragon Age. So it, it <laughs> like it. It's very atmospheric, you know. It it when I listened to this song, it made me. It, it has this sort of epic quest feel to it, and it has this um, sort of takes you to another place. Yeah. Which because of that, 
I the fact that it's a ballad didn't didn't take away from the song at all to me because it it it, it evoked something. Yeah, no, it's uh, as ballads go. I think it's a wonderful song. Uh, notably, there are literally no guitars mm-hmm. on this song at all. Uh, when they play this live, the guitarists literally go off and take a break, probably go to the bathroom and have a drink. You know, uh, they even make a joke about it that the guitarists can have a rest for a minute when they play this song because it's basically when they play this, it is, I believe, just the keyboard player and Sharon um, perform it live because that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful song, lovely melody. Um, again, you know, showcasing that they are, they can write really, really good melodies and choruses. Um, have to try to break free from the thoughts in my mind. What a lovely, you know, again, the sort of like hopeful, positive, struggling, but positive feeling lyric. Right. Have to fight. Cause I know in the end it's worthwhile. That's the mm. pain that the pain that I feel slowly fades away and it will be all right. So it's that whole, you know, dealing with the challenge, facing it head on, being able to move forward the the sort of hopeful message in the song. Yeah. Yeah. And r- again, really showcases Sharon's voice, this song. Um, right. And it's not, maybe because more it doesn't so have even, to compete with the guitars right. in this, then, then it really is. Well, but it also means there's nowhere for it to hide. Exactly. I mean, yeah. not that, you know, not that her voice needs anywhere to hide, but if you ever need, if you ever doubted that, listen, I think probably this more than any other ballad on the album, actually, listen to this song and there is nowhere for her voice to hide. And it is just pure and crystal clear. The high notes, as I say, seem effortless uh, and she really can hit some really high notes. Uh, Just absolutely beautiful, beautiful voice. Yep. Uh, And, but then into Forsaken track six. No Which is a much darker, uh, more like mournful song, and yes. it, it, and definitely, you know, it, what I like is that it's uh, it's a great contrast to the song before. It's definitely the the riff is heavier. It's it's just a, you know, it's a solid metal song. Yes, absolutely. Well, and it's the first one on the album that's really got a sort of unusual guitar rhythm. Like up till now, most of the guitarists have been pretty four four, you know, sort yep. of standard chugging. Whereas this one has got that kind of uh, slight galloping stop start to the rhythm of the guitars, which is very nice. And it feels um, like it gets heavier the guitar riff as the song goes on, yes, and as the yes. horns start to accent it. Yep. Even the bridge, uh, the bridge is quite heavy on this one actually, and again, the guitars lead the rhythm on it. It is much more guitar centric than many tracks on the album. Uh, but although again, you know, really good strings and choir 
as well, all kind of coming together uh, to sort of build up the song. And um, at the end, it's got really big string stabs at the end. It really feels like a symphony coming to an end. And, and it has to- this very ethereal feel to the end of it. And this one was one of those goosebump songs, you know, where, where the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you listen to it, because the emotion in her voice at the end of the song, it, it, and I believe it's purposeful, her, her voice almost breaks mm. the way that the end of the song comes to a close, but it, it it's with emotion. You know what I mean? So when you listen to it, it just it ends very powerfully, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, is, I think it's a great, as you say, it's a great contrast to the song before, but also just a great song on the album. This is another one that really sticks in my head. You know, I'll often find myself just singing this at random, singing the chorus, because it is such, again, great chorus, such a good song. Uh, and then it leads, talking about contrasts, into track seven, Angels. I think that this is their biggest hit, if I It's so correctly. funny. My first note, very radio-friendly. <laughs> that was my first note. Because, again, and, and I have no idea like what were singles or what weren't, weren't singles on it, but just in listening to it, I put very oh, radio-friendly. This was friendly. very much a single, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is like the uh, – what I took from it is it's like, you know, she's talking about fallen angels, but it's kind of like someone who she thought was – this wonderful person who turned out to be something much less than that. So it's the whole, you know, sort of um, relationship gone bad or, you know, people, people not being who they sort of advertise themselves to be and something yeah. like that. So, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. It, it, this was very much a single, it has a music video and everything, a uh, rather cheesy music video, but it is good, but it is also <laughs> really cheesy. Um, uh, and yeah, I'm pretty sure that this is, still their biggest hit it's certainly one of their biggest and if you know with most people if they've only heard one within temptation song this seems to be the song that they have heard uh this seems to be the one that's sort of traveled the most outside of just their fans um uh, it notably it does depart from the formula it does not have the bombastic beginning <laughs> um, no it's got this main piano line that runs through it right and it does have a fantastic chorus real sort of power metal chorus on this one um and yeah the you know you took my heart deceived me right from the start um but the bit that the one that really gets me on this and the the bit that really sort of made the song stick in my mind the first time i heard it is actually the pre-chorus and the line right before it goes into the chorus uh where she sings no remorse because i still remember 
the smile when you tore me apart. Yep, and, and that is the lyric that I pulled when I made oh, my notes for this song. It's great such a one. great lyric, and musically as well, really, really powerful. Um, and the drums and the guitars all sort of crash into one another, and then bang, you're into the chorus. It's a really, really great build-up. And the piano line here for you horror fans that are listening to this uh, podcast, if you remember the movie from the 70s, Phantasm, with oh, yeah. Angus Scrim as the tall man. If you go and listen to the main score from Phantasm, the main theme, very reminiscent of the main piano theme in this song. In fact, the first oh. time I heard this, I was like, where do I know that? What is that reminding me of? And it reminds me exactly of the Phantasm theme. They're not they're not note for note, you know, sure, exact, sure. but it is very uh, it evokes that in me for sure. So go check out and I'm sure Anthony you can find it for the for the show, but the main score of the first phantasm movie absolutely uh reminded me of this song i will which only made well, me like it more yeah right because <laughs> well, it's a if, cool it's uh, a cool like weird uh you know 70s horror score i will definitely look out for that yeah um but yeah it's uh i mean the music video to this is really kind of on the nose and i don't know whether the lyrics are as explicit as the video uh-huh. uh in the video, like the sort of the betrayer and the the liar and the deceiver is basically a priest who turns out to who rescues Sharon when after I think a car crash in the desert or something, and then turns out to be a deceiver. Oh, and the okay. rest of the the rest of the band come and like march across the desert and rescue her. Like I say, it's really cheesy, <laughs> but it is good. Um, uh, I don't know whether the lyrics are actually meant to be quite that you know sort of explicit and obvious. Sure. Um, but they are really good lyrics, and yeah, as you say, very much about sort of you know realizing that somebody is uh, not who they claim to be. Yeah, it's open enough to interpretation that the listener can put their own sort of uh, spin on it, which I think is what makes a hit single in a lot of ways, especially yes. for metal, is that you can you can apply your own emotional experiences to those lyrics. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, track eight, memories. Again, contrast, this is the second ballad. Uh-huh. Very well composed, some great strings in this one, um, and great lyrics as well. Yes, yes. And Sharon's voice on this track really is just kind of just beautiful, uh, like delicate and powerful at the same time. Really good range, both of uh, power and also of actual, you know, sort of notes, vocal range um, on this track that she demonstrates. Uh, this was also a single and also has a cheesy video to go with it. Uh, slightly less cheesy than Angels, but uh, but much more gothic. Uh, in that it's basically her 
in an old house surrounded by ghosts wearing like, you know, flowing white dresses and stuff and there are leaves on the floor and, you know. <laughs> You've seen the sort of thing All before. the main ingredients, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which is great. I mean, I, lo- I love all of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And it, it, again, it suits the song really well. Uh, there are some really great strings on this song, I think. There's even a harp in there somewhere, <laughs> which, again, you may not notice until you've heard it many, many times, but you suddenly go, hang on a minute, that's a harp. Mm-hmm. Um, and a violin solo at the end of the song. Yeah. You, surprisingly few violin solos, actually, in symphonic metal, um, especially considering, you know, the prevalence of them in early My Dying Bride. You'd maybe expect to hear more of them, uh, but there's not many at all. And there is one in this song, and it's a really good one as well. You know, again, like the guitar solos, it's not complex. It's not like somebody's fiddling at a million miles an hour. Right. But it's it's melodic and mournful and just suits the song really well. And one of the cool things is even though we've talked about, you know, quote unquote, a formula for a lot of the songs, like they never overuse one element too much. I mean, the one element that's consistent through all of them is, of course, her voice, which the whole sound is built around. But, you know, in this song, it's violins and another one, the guitars come to the front a little bit. So they they play around with that, but they don't they don't use the same trick over and over again when it comes to highlighting like single instruments. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and again, yet yeah, lyrically, this is a beautiful song as well. Um, absolutely. Once again, my favorite lyrics from the chorus, all of my memories keep you near in silent moments. Imagine you'd be here. Yep. Just beautiful. Same lyrics that I pulled as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Wow. And I, I added the other, the next couple lines, all of my memories keep you near the silent whispers, silent tears. Right. Yeah. Which is basically, that's the whole chorus. Yep. Yeah. The, their choruses, as I say, they're just, they're so good. Um, and I know I bang on about, you know, this sort of good quality songwriting, but it really is uh, it's so important. Um, and especially in a band like this, which, you know, obviously are not sort of going for label of most brutal <laughs> metal exactly. right. band of all time or something, you know, so you really, really do ha- need to have quality songwriting. Right. Their tagline isn't everything louder than everything else. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay. And that moves us into track nine, Aquarius. Although you could apply that quote to this song, because this song is much heavier, uh, obviously, than the previous song, and in one of the heavier songs on the album, I thought. It is, yeah. Um, 
it's uh, it does it it's, it uses the formula. It's the same formula again. Um, but one of the things that makes me always makes me laugh on this track, uh, the very first verse, they they simply don't bother to write a fourth line. Now I, I'm not entirely. I don't know who writes how the sort of writing process is split entirely in this band. I've always assumed that Robert writes the music and Sharon writes the lyrics. Th- that may, you know, it may be more to it than that. But whoever it was, there is no fourth line. Uh-huh. <laughs> they sing the first three lines of the verse, and then for the fourth line, she just goes, woo, through, yeah. <laughs> through like, the right, I got line. enough stuff. I have other stuff to do now. Yeah. I can't it's, be. It's so weird, because in the second verse... Uh, like there's a fourth line. It's like what happened there <laughs> exactly. It's really weird. That's too oh, funny. Dear. But um, yeah, heavy song. Uh, what I liked about the mix of this song is, to me, her voice sounds like it's even more powerful here. This is oh, one yeah, of the songs yeah. where, um, not that I feel like her voice is sort of fading, but her voice has this very ethereal quality to it. And in a lot of the songs, it's not, it's not um, like a powerful type of field in this song like her she's she sounds heavy her voice sounds very powerful and the guitars sound heavy so together this song has a punch that few songs on this album have yeah yeah vocally you're right it's sort of mid-range for her so she mm-hmm. really belts it she's out she's letting you know? it rip yeah 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 um this is i mean i i should say I, I like this song. I like every song on this album. Me too. Uh, but, you know, we've done this for other albums, so we may as well do it for this one. This is the track that I, if we had to lose one, I would lose without, you know, sort of losing too much sleep. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why. That just sort of, it doesn't quite stand out as much as any of the other tracks. Do you know what I mean? There's there's no sort of single unique quality in this particular track sure. that makes it stand out. Whereas every other track, it feels like there's something in it that you're like, oh, that's good. That's I haven't heard that on any other track. That's a bit special. And there's nothing like that on this particular track. It's funny because the next song is the song that I would say that about. Really? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay, well, let's talk about that because that track is It's the Fear. This is this is my favorite track on the album. Well, okay. So let's so you tell me why it's your favorite track. So let's talk about not again, not like you just said of the previous song. Not that I don't like any of the songs sure, on this album because sure. they're all good. Uh I love the opening for a start. 
Uh, I think it's got a really, really big, dramatic opening. Like a, str- um, it's, it's like a string riff. Right, yeah. It, it has a sort of, yes, a quasi-formula, uh, you know, follows the formula, but the guitar and drums are still going during the first verse, so it's not quite, you know, it doesn't drop out quite as much as some of the other songs. Um, it's mainly the chorus. I love the chorus on the song. I love the, the, the sort of four-note cymbal crash that leads into it. Uh, I think is just brilliant, lovely piece of arrangement. Um, it's a good track for the drums, period. Actually, I think the drums on this track stand out on the album. Um, you have the double track overlapping vocals at the start of the chorus. So she sings, it's the fear, but then over the top of it, she also s- sings the first line, the fear of the dark. Right. Um, and you get uh, midway through the chorus, again, the same sort of, you know, bit of cymbal crashing, rhythmic, very, very good, just beautiful dynamics um, and really good lyrics. Um, you know, I and fear who I am becoming. Too. Yes, yes. I fear who I am becoming. I feel that I'm losing the struggle within. That's that's good. You know. Yeah, I feel like the lyrics w- were knowing what I know of your musical tastes. Like lyrically, this song is, uh, <laughs> especially the, the whole chorus is uh, is right up your alley. Yeah, I guess, I guess. But yeah, as I say, it's. Uh, there's just something about this song and especially, yes, the the pre-chorus and the chorus that just really hits me and I absolutely love it. So why, what is it about you that makes it sort of, that that doesn't hit? Uh, It's not that it doesn't hit, it's just that to me it follows the formula of of some of their, what I think are more radio-friendly songs. You know what I mean? So if you were to look at those throughout the album and there's three or four of them that sort of fall into this category, I think, um, if you lost one of them, I could. It wouldn't hurt me to lose this one. I almost feel it like, in a way, even though Aquarius and it's the fear are different songs. Like this, this to me is is a place where it's a little bit samey, right? So if you lost either one of these songs, like I, I, I don't want to say they're interchangeable, but that's that's kind wow. of wow. Uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say they're interchangeable at all. No, it's uh, it, this is what I love about doing this show is that would never have even occurred to me. Yeah. So that's all basically for me, it's just, uh, you know, we're at second to last song of the album. This is another song that to me fits in sort of the formula of their, their more, um, traditional singles of, you know, the, the sweeping chorus and the, and that kind of stuff. And so if we lost this one, it wouldn't, it doesn't stand out enough to me to, uh, that I would be super upset if it wasn't because we have songs in my mind as it to my ear that are similar to it on the album right right um actually i don't interestingly i don't think this was a single huh which i know what you mean it seems it crazy feels but very singly to me yeah you know what i mean like it feels yeah. like it absolutely <laughs> could. but then again there's four or five songs on this album and and not it's funny that you say the ballads are this are some of the singles on this album because it wouldn't have been the ballads that i would have put out there i, I feel like they have three or four solid uh, both for their time, their formula, their their melodies, very radio friendly songs on this album for sure. Yeah, but and no, this would it's... be one of them. This would this to me, in my mind would have been the last single off the album. Right, right. Now, as far as I know, uh, I think the vi- I think the singles were Jillian, Stand My Ground, Angels, and Memories. I believe those huh, were the singles okay. off this album. I could I could be wrong, but I think those were the singles because I'm pretty sure those are the ones that they made music videos for. So I'm assuming that those are therefore, you know, the singles. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, oh, I also the um, the guitars in the verse of "It's the Fear" are kind of 
uh, not heavy, but you know, again, sort of fairly traditional metal stuff. Uh, I would have thought those would yeah. appeal to you. Yeah, no, they definitely yeah. do. Yeah, and 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 maybe I've oversold the fact that I could lose this track from the album because I I certainly there's no songs on this album that I think are throwaway tracks. Right, but yeah, it's just you know in our conversations we always sort of look at well if I had to lose one, yeah, who's I, I, going I, I, over I the side of the a, boat. I think it's a valuable metric to apply to an album because it does yes. sometimes forces you to make hard choices. Well, and it's funny, it, not to digress, but I was listening to um, uh, the band Extreme. They have a great album called Three Sides to Every Story, and it was sort of a concept album. And I was reading the history of the album, and there was a song that the guitar player, Nuno Betancourt, was his favorite song in the album, and they had to cut it for time oh, because wow. of the limitations of the 70-minute uh, CD format. And because of that, he was heartbroken which I didn't even know it was a song on the album when I first listened to the album. And then I went back, you can find that on YouTube and stuff. But as you mentioned, some very hard choices that have to be made sometimes because of the constraints of the format. Not so much anymore, uh, but it was a case be- with that album particularly of having to do two discs versus one disc because right. of one song. So they lost one yeah, song. Yeah, that, that's, that's untenable. Yeah, you yeah. can't do that. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, that that is, you know, that's the sort of choices that bands do or used to anyway in the in the days of you know vinyl and compact discs used to face all the time. So it's, uh, I just think it's an interesting mental exercise to apply it to you know things that we're listening to. And even with this uh, album, there was two additional songs that went on the special edition. You had a dangerous mind, and you had the swan song that went on to the. It, it was thirteen tracks in the special edition release of it. So clearly, there and this is almost always the case. Bands go into the studio with let's say fifteen songs. You know that they have oh, often more, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes much more than that, but and then they pick the final eleven, twelve, thirteen that end up making the album. Um, so yeah, so there's always songs that that don't make the cut for sure, that are that are in the final group. You know, yeah, and those bonus tracks are good. I have heard them, um, but you know, uh, it, we're talking just about the regular album. But yeah, exactly, if yeah. people do like, if people listen to this album and decide they do like it, it is probably worth getting those bonus tracks. You know, either through iTunes or by buying the limited edition CD or whatever. And apparently the US release of this album had uh three additional songs that The Promise which was a live one stand my ground the acoustic version and Angels uh which was a live one as well and then a, oh, a right. song called Destroyed a demo version of a song called Destroyed. So wow. if you can track down the US version there's 17 songs. On wow. Wow. Okay. But we are going to talk now about track 11, The Closer, somewhere uh which is the final ballad. Lost in the darkness Try to find your way home I want to embrace you And never let you go Almost hope you're in heaven So no one can hurt your soul
And yes, it is the closer. And I think it's a good closer. We I talk a lot too. on here about, about closers and sort of suiting the album. And while this is a ballad rather than a bombastic song, uh, so it doesn't represent the whole album, I think in terms of its sort of mood and its flavour, I think it's a very good, very suitable closer to the album. I totally agree. I My notes on it were it's a hopeful tune. It's carried by the vocals. It ends on an up note. And I pulled the lyrics, wherever you are, I won't stop searching, whatever it takes me to know. And I felt like the way, the the sort of message of the song and and the, the tone of it, it makes you want to play the whole CD over again. You know, yeah. it, make, it, yeah. it has that feel of like, th- this story isn't over. This is the closing, this is the end of this chapter, but there's there's more story to be told and it makes you want to take another run through the album. So even though it is, you know, a slower song, it, it, it made me want to cycle through the whole album again. Yeah. And again, lovely string work uh, on this album. And again, Sharon's voice is, you know, is, is lovely. And as I said at the start, this is the track that they, where she did uh, at the Metropole symphony, uh, you know, concert thing. This is the one that she did a duet with uh, Anika van Giersbergen from the gathering. Uh, who also has a, a beautiful voice and, you know, it suited it really well. But yeah, just Sharon on her own here, as always, sounds lovely. Yeah, she and is yeah, amazing. It, she is. She really is. Uh, and she's a good front woman, as I say. He's kind of an unusual front woman, uh, you know, compared to many metal <laughs> front women, because the, there is, I think, I think what it is, there is no aggression in her stage presence. This is just literally just occurring to me now, but maybe that's what it is. There is absolutely zero aggression in her straight stage presence, which is unusual for even for a rock band, let alone a metal band, you know? I totally agree. And I I think that, I think that at first blush, you could hold that against this band. Because when I first listened through this album, I felt like her, I felt like it wasn't powerful enough. You know right. what I mean? At first listen, like it right. in the way that something like Sister Sin is, you know, just clouts you around the head. Exactly. Or even I think maybe some of the reason that some people, again, at first blush, like prefer uh, Evanescence because Evanescence in their production, I think, is a heavier band. Yes. Than, well, and, and Amy band. Lee does sing in more of a way that kind of, yeah, again, whacks you upside the head. Exactly. Uh, her. So, so I think that Again, I'm glad I spent time with this album because the more I listened to it, the more it really grew on me. And by the third listen, I was really into it. And you know, despite our talk about you know what song we might cut from the album, I think top to bottom, this is a great album. And it, it really is. It makes me want to listen to more of their stuff. This was a band I had very little knowledge of, other than knowing that they existed, and now want to listen to more of their albums. So her her voice is absolutely amazing, and she has an unbelievable range. Um, but doesn't doesn't get overly theatrical with it. You know what I mean in terms of uh, right. in terms she of her doesn't singing. show off. Exactly, she doesn't show off. It's not you know, it's not uh, like we she's we not, she's not about, doing the old Whitney Houston whoa, 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 all over the scale, kind the of. King Diamond, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Right, you know yeah. <laughs> where where everything is just let me see how high of a note I can possibly hit every time that I have to hit a high note just to Let show you that I Let me see if I can hit 15 notes within three seconds sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Again, nothing against King Diamond because, you know, as we talked about, I really enjoyed uh, him when I saw him live in concert. But yeah, I think that, I think overall, just the, the band just works very well together and, and their their composition and the way that they build around her, it just works. Yeah. Well, I think it's an issue, we've talked about this before, I think it's an issue of taste. Like, yes, 
the sound of the band is clearly built around Sharon's voice, no question. But at the same time, her voice works in service to the songs. I agree. And that that's an interesting sort of feedback loop that I think is probably delicate, you know, and I'm sure there have probably been moments during the songwriting where, you know, they may have wanted to break out of that or, you know, some ego may have got involved and, you know, and they may have had to restrain something and pull something back. But I think keeping that sort of circle of, yes, we're all about your voice, but your voice is in service to the songs is actually a big part of why their stuff works so well. And that's the hidden complexity, right? Because you yeah. you might not get that from just listening to them on the surface, but to make that balance work. And it's like in anything. It's like in writing. It's like in game design. It's like in whatever. There's a, there's a balance there that when you achieve it, it sort of is invisible. Yeah. Like, you know, when it works, it just works. But to make right, that you work... Don't know, it's, it's like we say always say about good lettering in comic books. Exactly. If, it, if, if the lettering's really good, you don't notice it. Exactly. Yep, absolutely. And and so because it works so well here, you would be forgiven for thinking that it maybe is simple when it is absolutely not. They've achieved a delicate balance that just works for this band. Yeah. I'm also, I'm really glad to hear you say that this album makes you want to seek out more of their stuff because the reason, this is not... I th- I'm not even sure if this is their most commercially successful album. And the album that came after this, The Heart of Everything, is actually kind of a quote-unquote better album in that it has much better production. It has more variety in the songs. Huh. Um, but uh, there are, and some of the songs are much more powerful in terms of, you know, just sheer sonic power. But there are only half a dozen songs on that album, and it's basically the first, like, half a dozen songs on the album that I can actually sing from memory. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. half, half of the album just does not stick in my mind. Whereas pretty much every song on this album is an earworm. Every song on this album, I can sort of think, oh, that song, yeah, and immediately start singing it. Um, and that's why I chose this album to talk about rather than The Heart of Everything or Mother Earth, the previous album, which are both great, great albums. And, and the, the reason this album works for me is, and, and this is a rarity, there's no skip songs on this album for me. So exactly. when I'm listening to it, I just go through the whole and and I I try to and especially as we talked about like the first several times I listen to an album, I never skip anything even if I know right off the bat I don't particularly like a song, but once I once an album has sort of gotten into my head catalog, you know, of uh of of an album that I'll revisit and continue to listen to, if there's no songs on the album that I can that I want to skip through, then it it goes into the smaller pile which is the, you know, it goes into the rotation right. <laughs> of albums that I can put this album in and forget about it because right, I can you're just not hovering to over the on, skip button. <laughs> it, thank you. It's, it, that's exactly right. I'm not hovering over because there's no, there's nothing I want to get through to get to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as I say, that's why I chose this album because while the individual songs, you could pick individual songs from other albums that are maybe stronger than some of the ones on this album, but this album as a whole is so good and yeah if you like one song of this album you are probably going to like the entire album right uh and you know let's be honest there's not that many albums you can say that about correct yeah or or that we would both agree on you know what i mean right. like yeah. it's like or that you know multiple fans would agree on cuz obviously almost all the albums that you and i have picked here for us are albums like that but to have that be almost a universal thing is is a rarity for sure it really is yeah yeah all right so uh 
Now, this is going to be show 11. This is track 11 of volume one. Yes. So uh, I believe track 12 next episode is going to be the final episode of volume one. And so it falls to you, my friend, to close us out with your choice. I have agonized over this one. (laughs) There was at least three albums that I have gone back and forth all week about that I would think about doing for this one. Uh, and the album that I chose to do is because while we have covered many eras of metal, I don't think we've done any albums yet in this season that actually came out this year. Oh, okay. So I am choosing the newest album from Armored Saint, which is called Win Hands Down, Oh, which at this point of the year may be my album of 2015. And this wow, has been really? a good year for metal. I'll tell you that yes, right now. Yes, it has. Yes, it uh, has. Even in the past few months, you've gotten Slayer, you've gotten Iron Maiden. I mentioned Wasp. I mentioned Queensryche. Striper has a new album out that's great. So there's a there, even just in the past couple months. But this one came out in June, and uh, as I mentioned, I recently saw Armored Saint in concert, which I'll talk about more when we actually get into talking about this album. But this was a band that I had waited many years to see in concert because I've enjoyed John Bush's work in Anthrax for many years and seen him live with anthrax many times but i liked armored saint prior to him joining anthrax um the symbol of salvation album which uh came out in 1991 was the one that really put them on the map for me and so that's the album that i know best from them but they have put out a couple albums over the past few years that have been really good in 2010 they released la raza which I really enjoyed. And then in June of this year, June 2nd, they released Win Hands Down. And uh, this is a blue-collar metal group that I think this album is a great representation of their sound. And uh, the more I listen to it, the more I think it may be my album of 2015. And without predicting how you'll feel about it, Anthony, I think what one of the things that has drawn us to John Bush as a songwriter is his lyrics and the sort of self-reflective nature of the songs that he writes that sort of has you looking at what stage of life you know you're in and sort of what's happening around you at the time and this is an album to me that is a veteran group who has been around the block a few times and feels very comfortable with what they're able to do right now so uh it, it to me it's an album that I just keep listening to so I'm I'm looking forward to you checking out and hopefully for people maybe that haven't listened to armored saint to check them out and check out some of their back catalog awesome well i'm looking forward to it too so yes and that will be our final episode coming soon sooner than this one promise yes absolutely (laughs) so it's been great catching up and i'm glad we're we're uh we're back and i can't wait for the next episode same here all right see you then You've been listening to Anthony Johnston and Brian Latendry thrash it out. If this is your kind of thing, please spread the word, rate us on iTunes, and support us at patreon.com slash thrash it out. With your help, we can stay completely independent and keep thrashing. If you want to get in touch, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com. Thank you, and good night.